0: What's up independent agents are you driving your clients off to the carrier self-servicing platforms after the sale just to minimize your service demand stop doing that with the premier mobile and web agency solution Glovebox. now you can keep your clients in front of your agency at all times all while delivering the carrier self-service experience that will minimize your service costs and absolutely wow your customers on top of that Glovebox will help you increase your cross-sales, referrals, and overall retention with an easy-to-use policyholder interface. Trust me, guys, we're using this at Portal Insurance, and this is literally happening. We are selling policies and servicing policies through our app. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today, and be sure to mention the Insurance Guys podcast for 20% off of your subscription for the life of your account. Guys, it's so cool that I can tell my clients, download the Portal app. Thanks, Glovebox insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner, and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome. She currently resides in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. She is a graduate of West Virginia University, and since 2008, her role in the insurance industries have included Chief Innovation Officer for the Ohio Insurance Agents Association, Chief Executive Officer for Intel Agents, Business Consultant, and today, she is the owner and president of Agency Focus, assisting independent agents to understand their agency's fair market value perpetuation planning, consulting during a purchase of another agency, compensation strategy, cash flow and risk analysis, and much, much more. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you my friend and first time guest on the IGP, please welcome Miss Carrie Wallace. How are you, Carrie?
1: I'm doing good. I got to tell you, I've been on some podcasts, never <laughs> one with an intro like that.
0: <laughs> well, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today. I have really enjoyed getting to know you and listening to you uh, up in Hartford, Connecticut. The very first time I heard you, believe, were you on a David Carruthers podcast way back when? Like, I was. Been a year or two ago, probably. Heard you on that podcast. I've uh, followed your career. I've talked to many, many people in the industry. You are very well respected and liked, which is important. Got to kind of have both of those in the insurance industry. Before we get started today, Carrie, our mission on this podcast is to help the 250,000 insurance agents out there in the United States of America to row their boat a little closer to that lighthouse so that they can live the life that they deserve to live and have the freedom to live that life. And so what I task all of our guests with on the podcast is to give out information on this show that they can learn and grow. And the next time they're in a conversation with their insurance agent buddies, they can go, oh yeah, I know about that. Heard about it on the insurance guys podcast. I know exactly what you're talking about. So before we get started, though, I have—I guess it would be a little troubling news to report. So, uh, my podcast co-host, Mr. Bradley Flowers, is not on the show today, guys. He has come down with COVID. He is doing okay. He's doing fine. Uh, I was just on a conference call with him a little while ago. Uh, his beautiful wife Laurel has has it now, and of course, they're monitoring their baby to make sure that nothing happens there. Since eight o'clock this morning, I've had not one, not two, but three employees go down with COVID. And I want to apologize to you for having to push back 30 minutes, but I was getting all this information in via text message and uh, I had to make some phone calls. We had to move phones around, move people around to get them where they needed to be. And it's a tough time right now. But as I was telling my staff yesterday, carry on a conference call. There is nothing about the insurance industry that is easy. It is a up at dawn, pride-swallowing siege. And I think for everybody listening to this podcast, no matter what stage of your career you're in in the insurance industry, the better way to look at everything that you do is this is going to be a challenge, whatever it is, whatever you're going through, it's going to be a challenge, it's going to be hard but I'm going to come out of this a better person, stronger. Maybe we can, uh, overcome some obstacles and help us get better as an agency long-term through this. And I think if you have that mindset, you don't feel as bad when things don't go quite your way, you know, because a lot of people have that. It's going to be easy mindset about everything and nothing in this business is easy.
1: Well, nothing about running your own business is easy. Right. And I got to tell you, if anything, we've learned a lot in the last two years is to expect the unexpected. Correct. And uh, man, I'll tell you, uh, I know more people right this minute that have COVID than I knew the whole prior year agree it's, it's incredible so I hope that your staff is okay and that yep. everybody recovers quickly I certainly have reached out to Bradley a couple of times and given him the same sentiment like we care about each other and I really hope that uh everybody comes through okay yeah I truly do
0: so I have one staff member that and I, I had not heard about this until a couple of days ago uh, I don't watch very much news but somebody was mentioning this to me but I have one, My claims manager, Harley Self, actually has the flu and COVID tested positive for both at the same time.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: So I'm calling and texting her and checking on her. She's she's been down since I guess Monday. Today's Thursday. I just, you know, you 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 want everybody to be okay and you have to balance checking on all of them with making sure phones are set up correctly and we have people to answer the phone and we, you know, s- some work is still getting done, but you got you got to give people grace. I mean, it's Absolutely, you it's do. Tough. If anything,
1: we've all learned grace. Yes. We've all learned trust. Yes. I mean, we've all learned a whole bunch of things, right?
0: Right. So today, I think this is going to be a podcast that helps more independent insurance agents than probably as much as any podcast that we have ever done. And we have a lot of ground to cover guys, if, you have, if you're driving a vehicle right now, that's fine. Listen to the podcast while you're driving. I would highly encourage you to get in a quiet place with a notebook and pen. And as I always say, write this shit down because what Carrie is going to do today for us, guys, she is going to spit gold for you. And the place I want to start is agency valuations. And I want to full transparency here, Carrie and I are working together because I am giving Clinton Orr and my agency 10% ownership in Eye Protect Insurance, not his book of business in the agency. And we have been working closely with Chris Brand and our attorney, uh, Randy Quarles out of Birmingham, Alabama to get all of the, the documents that we needed drawn up. And uh, I went over these the other day with Carrie, but I've got some of the copies of this here. So there's a restrictive stock transfer agreement here, amended and restated articles of incorporation for our agency, and then a stock redemption agreement and joinder that are are attached to that as well. So that's one part of this. But the other part of this, and this is something that I want you to go through and talk about with these agents, is why is it important that every three to four years, these agents stop what they're doing and get a valuation done on their agency?
1: Great question. It's actually, um, I'd love to start with why I even do this. Yeah, I went, I entered the insurance industry uh, about 14 years ago, and I have a finance background. I actually entered at the association level in Ohio. And, you know, when I first started, it was I love independent agents. I love that they're parts of their community. And I actually fell in love with the industry, period. I, I truly did. But the end of my career at Ohio Insurance Agents was about really helping independent agents understand their value, really think about planning for their agencies. And that's where I hit my stride. That is brings me the most satisfaction in what I do. And the reason for that, Scott, is it's their most valuable asset. You work really hard to serve your clients and you build this business. Why wouldn't you know the value of your agency Right. without knowing you can't plan? You can't do the things that you're trying to do, which is plan for the succession of your business. It seems almost crazy to me that um, so many leave that go until it's too late and then it becomes a problem and becomes very undervalued in very sad situations. You know, I've had several people, we were just talking about COVID and I've had several people call me and say, we didn't plan. I have to transition my agency and it's now urgent. I don't know the value of my agency and I have to stop and do it then. If you do that, your agency is going to sell at a discount. And I, I just can't stress your largest asset. You should take the time to know what it's worth and build a plan around it. That's that's really the core.
0: Now, we talked about this up in Hartford, Connecticut, and I mentioned it earlier. You made the comment while you were speaking to our 50 or so agents that were up there that this needs to be done every, I believe you said three to four years. And then also talk about because there are going to be some agents listening to this right now that maybe they've only got, I don't know, million dollars in premium on the books right now. And they're thinking to themselves, well, hell, I don't need to do that. I'm not, right. I'm 28 years old and I'm not going to sell my agency for 20 or 30 years. Right. What is the importance of when to get it done from a here's where we are premium size. And then what, why is it important to get it done every three to four years? Is, so, I, I know it's probably because of some of what you just said. Absolutely. Yeah. But
1: number one, know your baseline where you're starting, because the value of your agency is one bit of information that you get from going through the process. The other things that you get are what are the benchmarks I should be thinking about in my agency? as an entrepreneur, there's no rule book. When you become an independent agent, if you go from the captive to independent, no one hands you a book and says, this is how you run an independent insurance agency. Exactly. Well, when you go through evaluation, it makes you look at every part of your agency and think about how am I allocating my resources to salaries? How am I allocating it to my rent? How am I investing in technology and marketing? And you get a baseline of what the benchmarks are, how you can drive profitability and really think about how do I want to run my business? So in many ways, evaluation becomes a business planning tool, which is the reason I entered. I can't wait to help agents plan for their agencies and know where to invest what to do, um, and also where are they over investing, and where do they need to write the ship so they give themselves some room to do what they want to do. Right. So that's number one, and that moves and shifts as you write more business and as you grow, those benchmarks move and shift, and yep. you know your carrier mix changes. We talked about it yesterday. Your carrier carrier strategy changes over time and the risk associated with that changes over time. So the three to five years is as you grow, you want to get a test, a litmus test of where am I now? What have I improved? What could I still do? And what are those things that I should be aware of where I can mitigate my risk? I can actually um, continue to grow the value of my agency. And what are those benchmarks that I should be thinking about? Um, so what,
0: what you just described is is really an insurance agency is a living, breathing thing that is fluid and always changing. And, and, and that, all of that's true. Every bit of that's true. I mean, as you go through your benchmarks of years, one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You look, you always look back and you go, oh, my gosh, what what in the world were we thinking? You know, or man, I remember when we used to do that. Now we don't do any of that. So that's always you know, all that's changing.
1: Yeah. And so think about it when you are a scratch agency or a, a startup and you get to the, um, the mark of having five hundred thousand dollars in revenue or a million dollars in revenue or one point five. That business looks and feels different. You start adding different staff at different points. So, comparing doing it once 20 years ago when you were 500 in revenue is irrelevant Mm -hmm. when you have grown to 2 million in revenue, 2.5 million in revenue. You want to make sure that you're really business planning for every stage of your agency's life cycle.
0: And when you talk about if you were a brand spanking new independent agent, just, just opened your shop up, right? Yep. When would you, with the experience that you have, when would you think about maybe getting evaluation done on your agency?
1: So if I was a startup agency, I wouldn't start with maybe evaluation. I would start with someone give me what those benchmarks that I should be thinking about Mm. as I'm Mm. making the decisions on, technology and agency management system, all those things that you have to decide at some point, I'd want some kind of benchmark to be guiding me through that. I watched Ryan Hanley and Rogue Risk as he was making some decisions. Uh And I think he's got a great network of agents that can give him some some information, but using some benchmarks, how much money to allocate in each of those areas, I think start there. Once you get to 500 in revenue, you need to know the value of that asset. Yeah, You absolutely need to understand what's driving it, what risk is there. Um, and I think in revenue, because Correct. to me, that's that's what the financial statements show. Right. Um, I also would encourage many agents to start talking in um, terms of revenue, not premium volume. Think about it that way and what the profitability is of your agency. That's all driven based on your you know, expenses and revenue, not your premium
0: volume. Correct. Yeah. Mike Stromso said something uh, recently to me. We were talking about independent agents a lot of times, especially when they get up in, in volume yep. size, you know, they, they talk a lot in terms of revenue rather than premium. Yep. And, and he said, here's the deal, guys. Agency owners talk in terms of revenue Employees talk in terms of premium. It almost it almost is like I need to be having conversations with Carrie Wallace in in the form of revenue discussions, or maybe another agency owner if we're gonna, you know, talk about different things, maybe talk about revenue. But then when you're talking to other people, you may be talking about premium. I'll tell you another thing I've noticed it's hard for all these nationwide agents who have recently gone independent because up for years as an, a captive agent, you talk in terms of premium. And so it is a little bit of a transition to start talking more in terms of revenue rather than, than premium level.
1: It absolutely is. But you know, when you think about it, premium volume doesn't pay your people, you know, like that, that is a hard translation when you're talking about business planning Yep. inside your agency. So right. I agree. I, you know, I totally
0: get it. Premiums for show revenues for dough. That's what i That's always right, saying. man. That's it. I love it. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing for me, guys. I'm telling you this and we're not going to get so far down in the weeds that I start posting my financials on the IGP website or the, the Facebook page. But our initial conversation we had was a couple of days ago Yeah, and we talked about starting the valuation process for eye protect insurance. Now I'm giving these guys some insight here that if they want to come to you or someone else in the industry and talk, talk valuation of your agency, what they can expect that they're going to need to hand over to you. And it's a, it's a lot of data guys, but remember what I said at the beginning of this podcast, anything worth doing. It's going to be challenging. It's not going to be something you can pull together in 30 minutes. It's going to be a little bit of a process, which by the way, goes right back to what you were saying at the beginning of this process. When somebody calls you and they say, I need evaluation done and I need it by Friday. And you're like, that, that can't happen. It's right. not going to happen. Right. Right.
1: Oh heck, heck, no! Absolutely not. So here's what you can expect. You know, Scott's describing. We had a conversation, and I would I would encourage you, um, if you're going to find out the value of your agency, you want to talk to someone who's going to get to know your agency. Mm-hmm. They they are not one size fits all. And I will tell you that the data that I ask for is very similar in every agency. But if I don't get to know you, I won't know what questions to ask. Correct. So. We had an, uh, a conversation where I got to know. I, sp- I sat down with Scott and Clint, and we talked about things like how long have you been in business? What is the structure of your agency today? What do you, What is the mix of business that you write today? What is? What do you write in personal lines? What do you write in commercial lines? Do you have any niches? Spent a lot of time on. Do you specialize in a certain niche? Yep. And um, that actually is where many agencies see great growth. They become an expert in a niche. Uh, I think you guys um, have definitely established your, your agency as an expert in an area, but it also can create risk. Um, if it's a volatile niche, um, it could actually drive your um, losses up it could also be something difficult for someone to purchase and be able to retain that business. So not all niches are are created equal. I have to know what that is in order to know what information to ask you for. Uh, I asked you about your staff, um, about how you run your agency, who writes the business in your agency. Do you have any key players that um, would be, putting your agency at risk if something happened to them. So we'll want to know concentration in any niche with any producer, any um, line of business. Those are the kinds of things that I want to get a feel for. And then I ask you for data. I yep. mean, I, there's a big list of data. So we, we look for your financial statements. Yep. That is your profit and loss statement. Your last balance sheet for five years is ideal. Yep. I want to see your tax returns. Yep. Um, I want to see any contracts that are in place with the agency. Are you part of a network cluster alliance? Again, that would change your ability to um, sell your agency based on those contracts you have in place. It could also strengthen that agency. If you're part of a network cluster alliance, you might have contingency agreements that that are um, beautiful and cause your contingencies to be sta- more stable than the average agency. Correct. So those are those are some things that we ask for. But honestly, it's a process where once I get the data, I have more questions that I spend time with you and understand your agency. So then it's It's truly a reflection of your agency, not just what the numbers told me, because the numbers don't necessarily tell me the whole story.
0: So every single agent listening to this right now, I'm channeling them through me. Okay. Every agent that's listening to this, all I do is I channel their questions and sometimes we'll be talking and then something will just pop in my head. And I think there was some insurance agent in Indiana that was just thinking about that and they somehow they channeled that into my brain. Here's what every agent out there is thinking right now. Carrie, how much does it cost for you to do an evaluation for my agency? Cause I know that's what they're thinking. Like, what is sure. this going to cost?
1: Heck yeah. And I'm, I'm open about that. So I told you, I started in the association and the reason we went into this is because um, as you know, there's 36,000 independent insurance agents across the country. 80% of those independent agents are 1.25 million and below in revenue,
0: Correct. which
1: means they weren't getting valuations. They were buying and selling their agencies based on a multiple of revenue. And the reason I know this is the association wrote their e and we could see the transactions happening. And it, it was sad. It's right. super sad. In many cases, they were selling their agency at a huge discount. Sometimes people were overpaying. It's just terrible. So right. we actually built this consulting service to serve that 80%. We wanted to make it as affordable as possible. And I still believe that. I want to make sure every agent has the ability to know their value. Um, so I charge $3,000 to get an agency valuation unless you're over $2 million in revenue. And at that point, we have a conversation about the complexity of your agency and we go from there. Correct. Um, I remember when I said that in um, Hartford. Do you remember when I was asked that question and what the reaction was in the room?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was like... Oh my gosh. That's all hell. I'll do that tomorrow. You know? And, and, and th- I think the guy that was sitting beside you, and I can't remember his name, really nice gentleman that sat in front of me in class. Mm-hmm. He was up there with you. When oh, were uh, Keith Savino. Yeah. Ke- yes. He, he kind of looks, he kind of side-eyed you and he was like, that's all you charge for this.
1: I'm pretty sure he called me cheap yeah, and I, I tried not to take it personally, but right. I'm pretty sure he used the word cheap. Yeah.
0: That's exactly right.
1: So, well, I want to make it accessible as possible. And when we entered the marketplace, the average rate was anywhere from eight to ten thousand dollars, which really priced people out of the marketplace. Right. I, my my point is the actual number or range of number, because you I don't give you a number, I give you a range as the value of your agency. I give you the low and high. I tell you what the multiple it is, and it is a multiple of EBITDA, which we should break down what EBITDA is. We are, but My point is the actual number isn't the punchline. It's the things inside the report Mm -hmm. that tells you how you compare and the business planning that that can lead you to that I think is incredibly valuable. And I want every agency to have that.
0: Yeah. I think through this process with you that I'm going through, it's going to uncover some great things. It's probably going to uncover some things that you say, Scott, you need to work on this. This needs to get better. What I love about it is it strengthens my knowledge of agency valuations and then also conversations that I may have in the, some cases, not too distant future. And in some cases, a the distant future about either buying an agency or selling my agency, because then. Like right now I have an agency that I just started preliminary talks with about purchasing their agency. And I told you, and here again, we go down another road of you helping me be my consultant during that process to pull together their data to try to understand, okay, Scott, I don't want you underpaying for this. I don't want you overpaying for this, but this is what this is worth. And I think that that is just mind blowing in terms of protecting me from possibly making a bad decision. And I know it's happened before where people overpay for an agency and sometimes they underpay. And uh, so I think it'll help me in a lot of different areas uh, in, in our agency here.
1: Add when you're looking at buying another agency, you don't want to overpay, but you also want to uncover the synergies that exist between the two agencies. Right. So putting those two side by side and being able to actually start valuing what that is is incredibly beneficial. And if you don't know where you are, you have no idea how to compare another agency to it. So Correct. have your baseline and then say, does this help me or hurt me right. in these areas? Do, do their carrier mix match with ours? And what will that actually do to the overall agency? You know, Do their niches match with mine? And does that now create... Um, some diversity that I was looking for, or does it, does it actually further uh, exacerbate what I've already created? Like there's some things you can start thinking about strategically about who you even want to talk to. So, you know, there's a lot to that and the numbers help, you know, it's emotional when people want to buy an agency. I think they fall in love with the idea of the deal. It's also really smart to make sure that financially it makes sense. And Mm. I'm, I care about people, but I'm not an emotional person when right. it comes to this kind of decision. Definitely. I'm able to give you the data to help you actually drive good decisions.
0: So I had a question earlier that popped into my head when you were talking. Do you ever have an agency come to you to do a valuation or to do some type of business consulting, but more on the valuation side that try to hide things from you? Like don't want you to see the full picture?
1: Um, I, I wouldn't say they try to hide it. I think there's a lot of agencies that are scared because they know yeah. that there are things inside their agency that aren't really expenses that are associated with the agency. And I right. think, listen, there's a, agencies are incredibly valuable and they're very profitable. And mm-hmm. there are several agencies that have expenses flowing through their agencies that are not directly related to selling insurance. Mm-hmm. That is a fact. And here's the deal. If you can know what those are and isolate them, your EBITDA or the profitability of your agency improves and it improves your ability to sell at a high as much as possible. But I think it's not that they want to hide it. It's that they know that it's there and they really don't want to admit that to any other person, you know? Well,
0: guys, if you're worried about something like that, the very first thing And I was impressed with this. We talked about this on our call, our first call we had together the other day. The very first thing Carrie is going to send you is a non-disclosure and confidentiality agreement that I've read it. You notice it took me a little while yesterday to get it back to you because I was reading it. And it does protect me just as much as it protects you from a confidentiality and non-disclosure agreement standpoint. And I thank you for that. That helps put my mind at ease. And I know for other agents out there that might be looking at using a service like yours, I could see where that would, uh, maybe help them disclose some things that maybe otherwise they don't want to disclose, you know, if, if, if something's going on, I don't know, but
1: I get it. It's a sensitive topic. I mean, it is, it is literally, you know, you have to really, in order to have it work well for you, you have to be willing to share a lot of information. And yep. the thing is, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And yep. I take that pretty seriously. And I want to make sure someone trusts me implicitly to share whatever it is, because I'm only here if I don't have everything, I can't help you. Exactly.
0: Right. Exactly. Or the yeah. number or the numbers that you do give them back are not going to be correct. They're going right. To be so
1: what benefit is that? So, yeah.
0: So let's get into the meat and potatoes of of another conversation. And I'll, uh, say my podcast co-host is the one that called me specifically this morning and wanted to discuss this for the, all the independent agents out there, because this is kind of a little bit of a hot button topic. I hear it talked about more now than I ever have, you know, back in the old days, which was like five years ago. (laughs) When you heard agents talk about selling, they talked about a multiple of earnings. And I remember, you know, early 2000s, the number that I kept hearing thrown around quite a bit was 2.5 times earnings. That was a number Mm -hmm. that was kind of, in my mind, an industry standard. Today, what we're seeing more and more of is we're going to talk now, guys, about a word uh, an acronym called EBITDA. Okay. And I think it, before we go down this road, I want everybody on here to understand what that is. So, earnings, EBITDA, E B I T D A, that's the acronym. You hear this a lot on Wall Street. This is a big Wall Street term, but it's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And, and the definition, you can pull this off of Google, is it is a measure of a company's overall financial performance and is used as an alternative to net income in some circumstances. That's the definition of it, okay? EBITDA. Now, I've heard four or five agents talking about selling lately, and we're going to get into that in a few minutes, too. But then they start talking about multiples of EBITDA. Take it from there.
1: Okay. So, how do you even get to your EBITDA? Is where I'm going to start. Yep. Um, to me, EBITDA is very simple. It is a true measure of the profitability of an agency. So, if you think about it, what's my total commissions or revenue that I bring in? What are my contingencies to get to my total revenue? Uh, for the agency. That's an easy one, right? And right. then you have all the expenses to run your agency, including your staff, you know, your occupancy, your rent, all of those things, your technology. What do I need to run the agency? Your revenue, less the expenses, mm-hmm. is typically your net income. Then you have things like, Ex- something you bought three years ago, let's say that you bought a car three years ago and you are moving that expense over time. You're taking that expense over time. The cash actually left three years ago for that car wow. it's sitting on your balance sheet. You're amortizing or depreciating it. It's not a true operating expense in that year because the money's gone. So yep. it takes all those non-cash things out of the equation and just talks about what's the revenue and expense in any given year gives you what your EBITDA is. It literally remo- removes the depreciation, amortization, interest. If you have an interest on a loan, again, that's not for operating your business. That's something to do with complete. that's not part of the actual operations. Does that right. make sense? Yes. So that's how we get to EBITDA. Multiple of EBITDA is that is EBITDA is the the actual profitability. Now, what's the likelihood that you will continue to operate that way? We use all the risk factors inside the agency to come up with what multiple we would apply to that EBITDA. The problem with using a multiple of revenue is if I took your top line number and used two times revenue for an agency that isn't growing, that has one owner past the age of retirement with no plan, that has no profitability, you literally have overpaid significantly for that agency. Same million dollar agency is growing at 10% a year, has multiple owners, has profitability. The likelihood that agency will continue to do that based on their operations is far greater than the one that's declining or the one that has all these risk factors that could cause that revenue number to go down. So if you just use the top line, you have no idea how that agency is operating, right? EBITDA gives you an idea of all of that. And then the risk that it would continue that way or not continue that way. gives you a better idea of the ongoing value of that agency.
0: Am I to assume that if you go purchase an agency and instead of doing whatever times earnings, which is a very simple, I mean, back of the cocktail napkin math that you sure. could just throw out there that for the seller, there's probably a lot more deep diving done into their financials, their business operation sure. to, to, to get to the the EBITDA sure. Multiple that we're about to talk about in just a second. I, I'm assuming that's probably a little more uh, of a deep dive to get into that.
1: It sure is. You have to do evaluation to get the multiple of you right. up, without question.
0: So what here's, the, here, I'm I'm channeling my insurance agent that's listening to this in Wisconsin right now, because he's thinking about what I'm about to say today, January of 2022. What are you seeing agencies sell for as a multiple of EBITDA what's what's kind of the range that you're seeing? So I
1: valued 60, 65 agencies I worked with over the past 12 months and um, several of those sold. I also talked to several banks so for internal transitions uh, meaning one generation to the other it was anywhere from five and a half. To seven times EBITDA. For external, that is more like six and a half to 7.75. Is When there's a bank loan involved, that's what the multiple of EBITDAs are. If you looked at the news, for large agencies, platform agencies with private equity involved, other external sales, that EBITDA number is somewhere between 11 and 12 times EBITDA. What? It includes stock. It includes earnout. You have to get into the nuts and bolts of what those transactions include. So those two things are very different. When you do an internal transaction and we're talking, you know, six and a half times EBITDA, there's no stock in a company that we're talking about. The profitability of that agency has to pay for that transaction, right? right? externally, but,
0: but that but that's the, that's the daddy selling to a son or a daughter.
1: That is correct. Or okay. a partner selling to another partner.
0: Correct. Right. And so if that's we, we, 5.5 to seven times EBITDA. It is. Yeah. And then, and then the next one was external sales. So that would be Scott in Huntsville, Alabama, buying an agency that I don't have any personal relationship with in Florence, Alabama. That's correct. What what was the the multiple there that you gave? I, I missed that one.
1: Six and a half to 7.75. If a bank loan is involved, because remember, I can't report on what owner held notes are. Those don't get published anywhere. There's no way to know exactly what price they're talking about. And the reason for that, Scott, is think about it. There's more ability to have synergies and reduced expenses and higher profitability in those transactions. One agency buys another. You might not need two accounting systems. You now have one,
0: right? right? So, And going back to what you said earlier too, I mean, to me, everything is when somebody wants to sell and you looking at your current book of business and the types of clients and the, and the industries that you're serving, and maybe that, person over here that's saying, Hey, I would love to sell. Would you be interested? And maybe all they do is non-standard auto, Well, we don't do non-standard auto. So right out of the jump, this ain't going to work. That's not what we do. That's not our, that's not our culture. That's not who we are. Nothing wrong with it. I know people that are flying Bell Bell helicopters and uh, Gulfstream airplanes that sold non-standard auto insurance. I mean, it is a very lucrative business. I'm not trying to throw off on it. I'm just saying it's not what we do. And so going back to the beginning of this podcast and you talked about that, you said, look, Scott, first thing you got to figure is, are these cultures aligning? You know, I know for me, like for the agency that I've just kind of started talking to, you know, there's a couple of carriers that they have that are blue blood, you know, A plus plus rated carriers that we don't have that I would love to have in our stable of carriers. So that right there would be something that might interest me in buying an agency, you know? I do know I, where I thought you were going
1: with this. So I guess if I were buying an agency, if I'm an agency owner and I'm thinking about acquiring and knowing that a seller in order to get a multiple of EBITDA has to generate a, a, a fair amount of data yep. in order to be able to get a valuation, if they're not willing to do that and they say, no, I just want two times revenue, that's a red flag. A, right. can, do they even know their book? Right. B, Why? You you know what I mean? Like you want, you're going to need to know all of that if you're going to run that agency and actually, so in my mind, it's, it's almost a blind trust to do a multiple of revenue versus get in and understand it. Or you're not even able to evaluate some of the things that we're talking about. And the person that's, leery of that is someone who thinks they're not going to be able to get two times the equivalent of two times revenue using an EBITDA multiple. So probably that agency isn't run very well. Right. So, you know, in my mind, it's, it behooves everyone to just know what the deal is. So you can make a great deal rather than again, fall in love with the deal and just do it because yeah. we all want to grow by acquisition. Right. That's, that's not the best move.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's a little bit like buying a lemon for a car or somebody's like, yeah, just, you know, I'll I'll take this for it and you just pay me cash. And it's like, exactly. what's wrong with that damn car? (laughs) Something's wrong with it. I mean, it's almost this too good to be true type scenario. Plus, I mean, you know, going in and in two weeks, you know, figuring out how to finance, however you finance it, whether it's owner financed and we hadn't even gotten to that or a bank loan and just stroking a check in two weeks. And you hadn't looked at loss runs. You hadn't looked at the carrier mix of business. You haven't done financials and they're just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do any of that. I can't, I don't want to pull those reports. Just, you just, you just, you just buy it. And I'm like, nah, nah red flag walk nah. away. Yeah. So the last one that you mentioned, and I'm just trying to go over this for these agents, you said platform oh. was selling at 11 to 12 times ebitda. Go back through these agents cuz I don't know that I fully understood what you were talking about. When you say platform, what tell me what that means.
1: So that means your premium or your revenue is 5 million or above. Okay. So we're talking about large agencies. These are the things they get uh reported that are those are they're in a different class. You know, I think Unfortunately, when you read the headlines in our industry, you can see all kinds of information about what's happening um, with private equity money here in buying agencies. Private equity is dipping down less than that, but those are the reported um, transactions that are occurring and they don't necessarily apply again to that eighty percent that I'm talking about. That's one point two five million and below. You're never going to see those multiples because you don't have the volume in order to. Unless someone's trying to get into a niche that you have, an area that you have, uh, you know, an area of the of the country. There's a reason why they're paying a premium, but that's not the typical multiples that you see in an average agency. You see those in much larger agencies and brokers.
0: That that and, would be from a premium standpoint. Remember, guys, well, let, let me say two things. Number one, she's talking about premium size of probably 50 million yeah. or more in premium. So that's right. the big it's boys. Big the it's big vigorous. boys. Now, yeah. one thing I want to make sure these agents did not misunderstand you earlier. I heard what you said, but if they're like me, they need things repeated two or three times. She has said twice now that 80% of independent agents in America agencies are at 1.25 million in revenue, not premium or below not premium. Yeah. Or below 1.25 million in revenue or below. I believe that that sounds like an accurate amount.
1: Yeah, that's based on and that's consistent. And that is the majority of who we're talking to. And I think it's the underserved that are buying and selling agencies as a multiple of revenue, using that rule of thumb, sometimes leaving a lot of money on the table and sometimes getting way overpaid. But You know, I think that that's the those are the people I'd love to serve and get them to the next level and be able to business plan.
0: Well, hopefully, we're that agency, right? One other thing I want to say to everybody, guys, write this shit down. When Carrie speaks of the term revenue, correct me if I'm wrong. You're talking about gross revenue. Those are all of the commissions and all of the money, the profit sharing, whatever you're getting. That's flowing into the agency on a, uh, uh, I guess, is that December to December or December Annual to January? Business, yeah. yeah. Annual mm-hmm. business. Yep. Your gross revenue, not net gross revenue. Correct. That's so correct. now next question, I got lots of questions because I'm channeling through all these agents that have all these questions and they're, they're that's jumbled up in my mind right now. But so let's go back to the external multiple for EBITDA. mm mm-hmm. to 7.75 multiple for a sales price for a purchase price. Excuse me. What if it's owner financed? What if the owner says, Hey, I don't want to pay taxes on this stuff with a one-time hit. Don't borrow the money from the bank. You just pay me out over a period of three years.
1: It happens. Scott. How does that change?
0: Does that change anything? Or is that just
1: Here's the thing. It becomes really difficult to owner finance as an agency gets higher because that is being financed through what the agency profitability is. So let's talk about one agency to the other. If it's owner finance, that owner is taking on the risk that that new owner is going to be able to perform and satisfy that loan. It is a double risk, right? So, you're putting your agency. Sounds like something
0: you don't encourage.
1: No, I mean you have to have shared risk. Uh So the new owner needs to make sure that they've got some risk, and the exiting owner needs to have some risk as well. The best situation is when an exiting owner stays on for a period of time. It could be eighteen months. It could be two years to transition those clients and have continuity in the revenue stream. It right. mitigates the risk of, of, having your renewal rate really suffer because you lost the owner that typically has a large book, right? I mean, that's obvious. They have a relationship. Sometimes it's their name on the agency. Like there's some fallout of losing the owner if they do not have some continuity. If that owner leaves the agency, it's run in a different place and they have an owner financed loan. They are taking on a ton of risk if that agency can't perform. That doesn't happen typically unless the buying person has the same last name and it's in a family. And still, I think that there's some risk there, you know? And there's a lot of hesitation. Does is the next generation even ready? I highly, highly recommend getting external financing and mitigating some of that risk.
0: And then the just thing I see it, the
1: most is a blend of both.
0: And then just making a one-time payment to the owner for X number of dollars based on the EBITDA valuation. multiple. And
1: that actually costs. shifts all the risk to the new owner. So right. I, I have seen where there's a port a part there's owner finance and a part that is a bank loan, and that mitigates. The risk between
0: the two. Explain this to me. I talked to a guy the other day that's uh, somewhere between external and platform. He's uh, yeah. selling his agency. Yeah. He's hired a, a, a firm to assist him in that sale, almost like a uh, almost like a business broker who right. is going out to the market yep. and will be bringing in bids from different outside sources. For his agency, but one of the things he mentioned to me, and the only reason I bring it up is I've heard this uh, multiple times, excuse the play on words there, (laughs) but he was saying that part of his buyout, what he was wanting to do is stay on with the agency for some period of time. Let's just say three years. Okay. Yep. And that part of his buyout would be based on the growth of the agency during that period of time between the purchase or buying, I guess, I don't know how, that's what I'm asking. How do they do that where the owner stays on for a period of time? And then maybe your last buyout is based on growth of the agency.
1: So Scott, I'm going to make it, and there's a ton of different structures. So I'm just going to give you an example of what it looks like. So they're using a broker to actually go out to the marketplace to create Uh, competition to actually get the highest price. There's all kinds of different structures of deals that they come back with. But let's just say for ease, let's say he gets 50% cash down. Now he gets another 40% in stock and the last two or three points. So that makes it to a nine multiple. The last two is based on the performance as he works for the next five years to grow the book that, you know, or his agency or the total there, or retained. Typically, it's what happens to whatever business you brought, is it retained? And did you grow during that time? Let's just think about this logically, though. So let's say I'm 69 years old, or I'm 70 years old. And for the next five years, when I sell my agency, I want to grow by 30% and retain ninety three percent of that book. Right. How likely is that if you've been growing at five percent up until that point? Like, think about that, mm-hmm. and think about how realistic that is for everyone at the end of their career. Are they going to want to work in a way that's going to cause them to be able to grow at a very high, grow their book at a high rate in order to get that multiple? Yeah. Does that make sense? So, I, I yeah. think when you hear these deals, you got to think about what logically makes sense. Mm-hmm. If you're 42 and you're in your prime and you've grown your agency and that's your deal, it's very likely. And I don't mean to be ageist, but I mean, level of energy and level of where you are in your career matters. Sure. You know, that's not attractive to everyone. Right. Some people, you know, are thinking, I just want to get paid now.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. Well, a a couple of things I was thinking about is, you know, once you sign on the dotted line to sell your agency, right, there's got to be a part of you that's got one foot out the door. Not to mention the fact that you have to break this news to your team. Right. I mean, uh, there's no way around them not knowing and then you've got some what do you call it kind of uncertainty there with them because maybe they're like well wait a minute i've been here for 15 years you just got the big check i didn't get a big check right why do i want to stay here because maybe they're only 30 years old or 25 years old yeah. i can see there just been a lot of uh disjointedness going on there while you're trying to keep all the balls juggled in the air you know not
1: only that think about the cultural difference of an agency that is operating expecting those kinds of performance numbers how does that compare to the culture that you had in your agency prior to right i mean you want to know why there's so many scratch agencies look at the acquisitions and who goes out and starts their own correct uh for that very reason you know Those structures are incredibly profitable and they work really well. I'm not knocking those at all, but it's not for everyone. And when you're an agency owner with a 30 plus career, working for someone else is hard. Mm. Working for someone else with a completely different culture is really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what? Get go back again though. Give me that when you started breaking this down. You started throwing numbers out. Like you said, this person that was going to stay on for five years, they would get a initial cash buyout of yep. what was that percentage?
1: I, it could be anything, Scott. It could be anywhere from fifty percent cash up front. Okay. Then there's a portion in stock in the um you know in the buying entity in the p-
0: parent the parent company
1: Absolutely and then there's a portion that's based on their performance and that could be retention of their business uh-huh. or new business during that that's typically the factors that are there what, and I, what do you, I mean honestly I probably shouldn't have used percentages because that can be all over the place
0: Correct yeah it's 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 a uh, I mean for if you get five companies large companies that want to buy you all five of them are going to have those percentages are going to be all over the scale.
1: And here's the thing, Scott, people don't walk around and give you the details. They say, I have sold my agency for 11 times. Right. And they don't even say 11 times what they don't, you know, you know what I mean? So my point is when you hear those multiples, know that there's a cash portion, there's probably a stock portion Mm. and there's a performance portion. So no one goes five years later and say, Hey, did you hit those performance? Did you get nine times or did you get eight and a half times, like, what did you end up getting? That, that conversation never happens. So, and that, that is a big, that
0: is a big part of this. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, you can say I I sold for 12 times if you want to, but if most of the time in those situations, though, what you're saying is you're getting a cash portion of that. We're not going to put percentages on it, but cash portion up front, you're getting a stock portion, which I assume your very last day of work there, do you do they normally an a- agency owner normally cash that out that stock portion?
1: I think that, you know, private equities turn what every five years. So I, I, I don't know how often that is, but I think that again, you're not getting paid immediately, I think is the point. Right. And so in order to get paid, you have to be able to exit at some point in that stock purchase and you want that stock to grow. Sure. So it depends on what their acquisition strategy is on how they're going to grow. Right.
0: Yeah. And then the last part of that, obviously, is the performance, like keeping, keeping the band together for, three to five years and motivating people and having the the leadership qualities that would allow them to want to stick around while you are still driving the ship to the finish line at, yep. your, at the end of year five to get out of this, to get your last percentages of your, your buyout. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So let's end this podcast with some, a question that I asked you two days ago and I said, Gosh, I wish that was on the podcast. That needs to be on the podcast. (laughs) I said to you, I said, I have seen another pandemic of agencies, agency owners selling out. I mean, I could go down the list right now, but I don't want to put any, you know, I don't want to put anybody on, uh, you know, call out right now because they may not want people to know that they've been bought out. But it seems like kind of a pandemic of a lot of agency owners, if not selling out, at least looking at that, looking at what that looks like. Why do you think there are such a influx or really outflow of of agents selling their agencies now and consolidating their agencies?
1: I think um, I think there's a lot of factors in play there, but. You know, when you asked me that question, the first thing that comes to mind is our industry has changed and it was changing, Um, you know, change doesn't happen real fast in the insurance industry, but the last two years has forced some serious change and some things that are not going backwards. So if you were thinking about retiring and you went through the past two years, you have to be asking yourself, do I really want to make the investment in technology? Do I really want to make the investment for the next several years? And I think it's caused some people to say, you know what, I don't think I do. I think now is a great time. Number two, interest rates are low, money is available and multiples are at an all time high. So many people are saying the bottom's gonna fall out at some point, or that's just the thought process. Am I at the peak? And is now the right time? And there will never be a better time. Right. Uh, So I think that's driving it. Hiring is challenging right now. I mean, there's just no two ways around that. Hiring's always been challenging. But with what we've just gone through and the shift in our workforce, I think, again, you got to there's agency owners saying, do I want to deal with this or am I is this the right time? for me to really think about getting the most for my agency. So I think it depends where you are, if it excites you, and these have been your best two years, you are on acquisition mode. You're looking for anyone who's ready to do that. And if, if you're in the other side of that saying, listen, I I had an incredible career here. This might be the right time for me. I think you have, it's polarized those, those agencies significantly.
0: No, I, I would agree with everything that you just said. I, the one thing that has concerned me personally over the last couple of years, I, I've never purchased an agency or really uh, I've had a few conversations kind of like we're doing right now. But it's been a little bit discouraging because there's so much private equity money out there and 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 then individuals who are willing to pay these multiples that uh, I know I couldn't pay them. I don't think I could. It's a little bit discouraging for somebody that's just a you know run of the mill. Got a pretty good size agency, but certainly not you know uh, one of the the platform agencies as you mentioned earlier. It's a little discouraging for me because I'm like these people probably don't even want to talk to me because there's people out there offering what eleven to twelve times multiples of EBITDA.
1: But remember, those multiples aren't being offered to everyone. And we started this with there's 36,000 independent insurance agents across the country, right? Right. 80% of them are how big? Yeah. Those are not the target of private equity. And those people are looking for who do I know, like, and trust that my people are going to be taken care of, my clients are going to be taken care of. My community is going to get served. Like you got to find the right agent that has his priorities may not be get the highest price for my agency. Uh, he might prioritize or she might prioritize my clients, my staff, my community, or all three are what's most important. Those are the agencies you should be looking for. Not You're not competing with private equity in my mind. You're competing right. for how do I run my agency and what other agents are looking for the future for their clients at once they're ready to go. Cause it's their legacy.
0: Yeah. Right. You know, you always have that devil on one side of your shoulder and the other side of your other shoulder, you've got the angel and it's like this, um, yin and yang between selling out for the most money that you can possibly get versus maybe that agent down the street that might buy you out for less but you know that they're going to take care of your your clients that you've had on the books for all these years. Yeah, I love
1: I love this industry for that reason, Scott. Nine times out of ten, they're going to put their clients first. Yeah, I, I very rarely meet someone who said, "Nope, get me the highest price." Yeah, I, mean, I I just got to tell you that, and it's what I it's why I love what I do. Yeah. people want to do what's right.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think most agencies that agents that I know would uh, would probably choose option. You know, two uh, of selling to somebody, maybe for a little less money, but yeah. they know is going to take care of them and somebody down the road that they can, you know, come in, go in, see, make sure everything's going well. And they've known them for a while. That, that's the other challenge with buying an agency over the years is sometimes those purchases back in the early 2000s up to the last few years, it just takes cultivating that relationship over two, three, four, five years, letting them know that whenever they do get ready, you won't yeah. be interested and then getting to know them over the years and building a relationship till it's time for them to sell.
1: Yeah, I agree. But, uh, you know, I have to say I'm super inspired by the fact that there's more agents that are still thinking that way. Right. And, um, you know, that's that's the beautiful part about our industry that, you know, agents truly care about what they do. Right. And therefore, they don't want to get robbed, but they absolutely want to do the right thing. And yeah, yeah, I think they need to have the right information to find out what that right thing is.
0: Carrie, before we go, give these agents your contact information. I know how busy you are, but I'm sure that if you can help them, if you have time to help them, you would love to do that. So give give them your contact information while we're while we're on here. We'll put this in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah. So um my website's agencyfocus.com and my uh, my email is carrie at agency-focus.com. Uh, my my information's all over the place. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm everywhere. And uh yeah, so I'd love to help anybody who's looking to know their value.
0: Is there anything that we did not discuss today that you really felt like we needed to to let these insurance agents know.
1: So you said it, we could probably talk for four days about (laughs) this. There's no two ways around that. The only other thing is I would tell you is um, know your value and then be able to plan with it. Don't think about it as the end. It's the start of something. You know, it is, it's truly the start. And I, if, if I could leave you with that, Like it's a business planning tool that helps you start to think about how to run your business like a business and and really invest in your business.
0: How long does it normally take for an agent like myself who's working with you on this valuation of our agency? How long does it take uh, a normal agent to get you everything you need to yeah. to get get back what i need
1: so it really depends on the agent and the system that they have and the staff that they have in yeah. order to gather that information but that could take anywhere from you know a week to a month and how motivated they are to get this done or so, how busy they
0: are busy, right you know. exactly
1: and then my time frame typically takes anywhere from three to four weeks once I receive all of the information. Right. And I encourage people to send it to me at, at, as they get it. So therefore I can review it and ask additional questions to speed up the process.
0: Sure. Okay. Carrie, thank you. It's a pleasure. I appreciate you being on the show today. And as I end every episode, guys, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big, bad world. Make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund, and for your parents that are struggling out there. Go make money for them. Get that multiple up as high as you possibly can and go live the life that you've always dreamed of living. That's my hope and my wish for each one of you today. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Carrie Wallace, you have a open invitation at any moment to come on the podcast.
1: I'll take you up on that, my friend. I I enjoy talking to you for sure.
0: And, And by the way, I forgot to even talk about this. One City World Tour, Denver, Colorado, January 20th and 21st. Kerry Wallace will be there to talk about what we just discussed on this podcast and much, much more. Hope everyone will join us there. Thank you so much for you guys being a part of our family. We love each and every one of you, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. And thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.